Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. Are you ready for the word? Yes. How many of you guys wore your, your team colors today? All right. No, there's no Nebraska stuff. At least not Nebraska football. And, and, you know, several weeks ago, I preached a message about changing your focus and, and, and focusing on the right thing, focusing on the wrong thing, how that when we, when we allow ourselves to focus on these different things, and, and I just want to, just, I'm just going to put this out to you. You can choose what you focus on, right? Like you can choose to focus on the fact that it's Nebraska football season, or you can choose to focus on the fact that it's Nebraska volleyball season. And I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad it's Nebraska volleyball season right now. It's good to see you guys. Good to be back. Last week I wasn't here. I was doing, uh, speaking at a men's conference for a friend of mine down in Florida and then was there with them for the weekend. Melissa did a great job uh, bringing God's word, talking about uh, the role of God as the shepherd in our lives and and what that looks like when we allow him to lead. Today we're going to be in Daniel Daniel chapter 1, if you want to turn in your Bibles. Uh, Daniel is, is the last of the major prophets. And if you're just joining us, you're just tuning in online, what we've been doing this year is together reading through the Bible chronologically. So we started in Genesis way back in January. We were reading through the entirety of God's Word, not necessarily as it's been put together, because it's not, it's not put together in chronological order. It's The Old Testament is by, by subjects, and they divide it in different ways. And so we have been reading through chronologically, and I love reading through it chronologically, because a lot of the, the historical context begins to pull things out, and the cultural context begins to make a little bit more sense. And so we, we are at the end of the major prophets. Mary is going to give birth here in two weeks. She's, she's really like at the point where she can't sleep at night. Ladies, you know, you know what that's like. And, uh, and they're preparing to, to go on this journey to, 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 Jeru- to, to Jerusalem, to, to uh, or Bethlehem, excuse me, to, for the census. And, and so they're, they're making these preparations. So just hang in there. Two weeks, Jesus will be born and we'll be celebrating Christmas on the 1st of October this year. Uh, but Daniel is the last of the major prophets. He, he serves in Babylon. We've been talking about how that as the nation of Israel and, and the southern kingdom of Judah has rebelled against God, God time and again through the prophets has come and said, either change your ways or it's going to go bad. And it went bad. Nebuchadnezzar shows up and three times Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to the city. A couple times he brings back captives to live in exile. At the, the third um, Conquest of Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple, destroys the city, leaves it laying in ruins. Daniel is one of the young men who, on Nebuchadnezzar's first journey, brings Daniel and some of his friends back to live in Babylon. Daniel lives in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel serves and he's given position and influence and authority in the the kingdom of Babylon. And he's there for 70 years. He serves under four different kings. And I love the book of Daniel. As you read the book of Daniel, the first six chapters are broken up into more narrative of Daniel's life, things that happened in his life. The last six chapters are are visions that Daniel was given about the the times to come and about the end times. And and as you read through it, there are are things that stick out and, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned in Daniel. And one of the reasons why I love the book of Daniel and the life of the prophet Daniel is because Daniel said no. He was willing to to say no. He was willing to take a stand. There's a sign in in our office that says, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. And I think there's, there's there's a lot of us today in this room. There's a lot of us watching online. There's a lot of Christians filling seats and a lot of churches that because they have been unwilling to, to take a stand, are falling for the ploys of the world. And as we read the book of Daniel, I love it because Daniel says no. He, he said no to conforming. If ever there was a man that lived Romans 12, 2, I think it would be Daniel. Romans 12, verse 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we are in the world but that does not mean that we are of the world. We are, we are 
in culture, but that does not mean that we have to participate with what culture is doing. We are members of a society. And as the church, the reason that we are here as the church is to be the moral compass of our society. It's not to participate, it's not to partake, it's not to do everything that the world is doing. Our responsibility as followers of Christ is to be a light in a dark place. And Daniel was that. Daniel was one that lived a counterculture life. And today that's what I want to talk to you about. How do we, how do we live counterculture lives? He was surrounded by the traditions and the customs of Babylon. And rather than partaking, rather than then succumbing to that, he chose to take a stand. Not that it was easy, not that it wasn't without challenges, but Daniel was able to do that, and I want to encourage you in that as well today. Now understand, as we talk about living counterculture, I'm not talking about cancel culture. Because there's a difference between cancel culture and counterculture. Cancel culture says you've said something, you've done something, you're a bad person, now you are excluded from society. Counterculture puts the focus on us rather than everybody else. See, with cancel culture, it doesn't matter what you do, it matters what everybody else is doing. And it's like, and somebody does something that you don't like, you get to, to cancel them. And I don't see Daniel doing that. I, do, I don't see Daniel canceling King Nebuchadnezzar. I don't, see, I, don't see Dan, I don't see Daniel running around making all kinds of demands on everybody else around him. But what I do see Daniel doing is taking personal responsibility for him and saying, just because you are doesn't mean that I'm going to. And I can live counter to what the culture is trying to tell me to do. And so as we, we look at it, we, we need to understand that, that today you have an opportunity. And the opportunity that you have is to either live as a part of culture or to live set apart from culture. You can be a part of it or set apart from it. I think as, as the church, it's time for us to get back to living lives of holiness. Because holy, all holy means is set apart. You have been set apart. I have been, we have been set apart. And rather than maintaining that apart nest, that holy nest, we've become a part of what the world is doing around us. I think there's important lessons from the book of Daniel to learn in, in living this counterculture lifestyle, and we'll get there in a second, but just to highlight the importance of this, because it's easy for us, it's easy for us to feel that, that tug to conform. Romans 12, don't conform. Be transformed. But it's so, so easy for us to want to conform. In the 50s, there was a, a man by the name of Solomon Ash, and he, he ran some experiments just to see how, how this conformity and the social influence would play out. So what he did is he called in eight young men, and he sat them in this room. And, and on this side, he had, he had a, a diagram, an illustration of one line. It was, it was a certain length. There was one line on a page. That was it. And then on the other page, on the other board, he had three different lines. He had a shorter line, a longer line, and then a line that was the same size as this line. And what he would do is he would call these young men in and he would ask them which line on this board is the same length as the line on this board. And there were seven men who were working with Mr. Ash and there was one person that really was the one being studied. And as they came in this room, he asked them which line is the same length as this line and one by one they would answer and what he did is he told them at first give the right answer so so one by one b it's b it's b it's b it's b and the one who's being experimented he sees that it's the right answer so he answers b a few times they give the right answers and then what they what what the young man didn't know is mr ash had told them at, at a certain point i want you all to give the wrong answer but you need to give it with as much confidence as you gave the right answer so he shows them another line and he shows them three lines and he says, which one is the same length? And with the first one, he says, A, and the answer was B. And the next person, oh, it's A. 
It's A, it's A, it's A, until it gets to the end of the row and the young man who, who's being studied and, and, and to see how he's going to respond. Is he going to, to act based on what he knows to be right and what he perceives to be right? Or is he going to act based on the pressure of being the one who is different? And it gets to him and there's a frown on his face and he's looking at them and he's looking at the paper and he's looking at them and he's looking at the paper. And rather than saying A, the right answer he says, B. And the instructor says, all right, very good. He takes them down. He puts the next one up. Which one is the, the same length? And again, they give the wrong answer. It gets to the young man at the end. Once again, he goes with the group. Rather than giving the answer that he knows is accurate, that he knows is right, he says, man, if everybody is saying this, then that must be what it is. And he goes along with the group. And what Mr. Ash found is that 75% of the people that he studied in this context were willing to give the wrong answer so as to fit in with the rest of the group. 75%. And for us sitting here today, it would be very easy for us to be like, oh man, if I was in that situation, like there's no way. They're all wrong. I'm right. But with that pull to conform, and with the fear of being the only one, I saw this other experiment. Kerrigan, why don't you bring me this chair? And I want to illustrate this one because I think this, this, this experiment was, it was fascinating. And it like, it caused me to just see if you, see if you understand what I'm saying. So this woman walks into to, to an eye doctor, this waiting room. And there's, there's chairs in the waiting room. If you've been in, in one of those settings, you know what it looks like. So there's chairs in this waiting room, and there's about seven other, eight other people sitting in this waiting room with her. And so she goes and she checks in at the desk, and the lady at the desk says, have a seat. Doctor will be with you in a second. So she goes and she sits down. She takes a magazine from the mag magazine rack, and she's reading her magazine. And then out of nowhere, over the speakers in the office, there's this, there's this beep, and it just goes beep. And she doesn't know what it is. She just walked in. But when the beep went off, the other eight people in the room just stood up and then sat back down. And she's reading her magazine and it beeps and everybody stands up and she's like, did I, did I miss something? So they sit back down and she goes back to her magazine. About 30 seconds later, it beeps again and everybody else stands up, sits back down. And she's like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I wasn't given instructions. I don't know what's going on, but everybody's standing up when this beep goes off. The third beep, by the third beep, it beeps over the speakers. Everybody stands up and she goes. <laughs> sits back down. 30 seconds later, beeps again, and she's more confident in it this time. She's more confident. Five or six times, the beep goes off, and she stands up with everybody else, and then they sit right back down. Well, the doctor starts, nurse starts coming out and calling these people in one by one. Time to see you now. The doctor's ready for you now. So, so it gets to the point where now she's by herself. The pressure of the group is gone. She's sitting there alone in this office. The beep goes off. She stands up and she sits back down. Another man who's not a part of the experiment, isn't aware of what's going on. He's not a participant. He comes in for an appointment, checks in at the desk, has a seat in the waiting room. The beep goes off. The young lady stands up. And now the man is like, what are you doing? And she says to him, she said, I don't know, but everyone else was doing it. So the beep goes off again. She stands up. This time he stands up with her. And she sits down. More people start coming in. Where once she was being controlled by the pressure of the group, she has now found herself in the position of being the one to pressure others into conforming. And one by one, people came in, and for no reason whatsoever, other than a bell went off and other people did it, these people stood up out of their chairs and sat back down. Time and time and time again. 
And you're like, well, Pastor John, I wouldn't do that. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. How do you know? Because I've done it. Not in that specific context, but have you ever, have you ever stood in a line because other people were standing in a line only to realize the line that you are standing in isn't a real line at all? I was at a taco truck one time and there was a line of people and I, I got behind. It was, it was a taco truck at a golf course in Scotland. Thank you very much. It was a taco truck. And there was like 20 people in this line and I got behind them because that just seemed like the right thing to do. And then more people started getting behind us and we're standing there and the line's not moving. We're like, what's going on? Finally, somebody came out of the truck and said, hey, would you guys, like, if you would just look at the truck, we take orders on this side and we pick up food on this side. And sure enough, right there above the windows, there was an order here and there's a pickup here and everybody just went, because we thought we were in line, but we weren't. We just, we just followed the person in front of us. So many times in our lives, we just followed the people in front of us. Who are you following? Are you making decisions based on what the culture says to do, based on what is normative around you? Or are you making decisions based on what you know to be true in God's word? What you know to be true as far as his will for your life? Or are you just being led around? See, Daniel wasn't that person. Daniel chapter one, we're gonna get into it this morning. Daniel is taken to Babylon. We find that in, in verses one and two. Verse three is where, we, where we're gonna begin our reading today. It says this, it says that the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Some of you are like, I would have been selected. I would debate that. <laughs> Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Make sure they are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Verse 7 tells us that the chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Here we're just, we're, we're given some context into, to where Daniel finds himself, but even, even in those verses, we see so much. We see that the enemy is trying to, to get them from being a part of God's people and trying to conform and assimilate them into the culture of Babylon. You and I today are to be set apart from culture, to be holy, uh, a holy people, living lives of righteousness and saying we don't participate in all of that because what the world has to offer is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But me, I will, I will stand for righteousness. We see the enemy's tactics. This morning, I want to give you, I want to give you three principles and I want to ask you one question. If we're going to, to live these countercultural lives, these lives of holiness, of set-apartness, what do we need to understand? The first thing that we have to understand, and we see it in these verses, is that culture demands conformity. Culture demands conformity. We see it everywhere. We see it, we see it on the news. And the, the process by which we get to conformity is if, if we can get them to tolerate and then we can get them to accept, and then we can get them to celebrate. And if we can get them to tolerate and accept and celebrate, then we can make them participate. That's the cycle that, that culture uses to produce conformity. Culture is calling for you to be Conformed. If you don't participate in what we are doing, if you don't believe what we believe, if you don't say what we say, you're not just wrong, but you're hateful. You're not just wrong, but you're a bad person. 
If you don't tolerate me, then that must mean that you hate me. If you don't accept me, that must mean that you hate me. If you don't celebrate me, that must mean that you hate me. If you don't participate in what I'm doing, that must mean that you hate me. You're all hateful people. Like, no, it's not, it's not about hate. But we've been called to live lives differently. We've been called not to conform to the pattern of the world. And we look at Daniel chapter 1. We look at these, these four short verses. We see four ways that the, the enemy tries to bring about conformity. Four ways that the enemy will, will come to you. The first one is isolation. We see it when... when they're brought back, and they're brought back with their families. They're brought back with their relatives. And Nebuchadnezzar says, take them from their families and bring them into my house. Get them away from everyone they've known. Get them away from everything that they've known. Bring them not just from their homeland, but bring them out of their families' homes and bring them into my house. Isolation. The enemy wants you isolated because when he has you isolated, he can speak lies into your mind, and there is nobody there to counter it with truth. Then you start believing everything. Why are we doing kickoff Sunday? To, to stop you from living lives of isolation. To get you connected, to get you in relationship with other believers who can encourage you and sharpen you and strengthen you and pray for you and go to fight, go, go to battle for you and, and be there with you. The enemy wants you isolated. He doesn't just isolate, but then he indoctrinates. Isolation, indoctrination, what, where, where do we see indoctrination? What did Nebuchadnezzar say? Train them in all of the literature of Babylon. Train them in all the ways of Babylon. Get their culture out of their mind and put our culture into their, into their headspace until all that they think about is the things that we're teaching them. Parents, I'm just going to tell you, be careful. And I'm not, this is not like a, you need to homeschool. We don't homeschool. But we're trying to train our kids how to combat that. Like, here's what it looks like to guard your mind. Here's what it looks like to guard your hearts. No, everything that you hear is not necessarily true. Here's what it means to think critically about things. If we could just think critically, but there's, there's none of that going on these days. We just repeat what we've heard. Pass them off as our own ideas. Did you come up with that yourself or is that just what the news reporter told you? isolation. It's indoctrination. Then he goes to intimidation. And not just, not just in fear, but to intimidate. One of the def definitions of intimidate is to overcome with awe. To show them something so great, something that they don't have, to cause them to, to be in awe of it. And then, man, if, if they have it that good, then I'm missing out on something. And that's what the king did. Gave them wine, gave them food from his own table. And I would imagine that when they came with that food to these four, these four Jewish boys who have, been, who have been living and eating kosher their entire lives, and they come and put a plate of bacon in front of them, like you can't tell me that those four boys weren't like, we didn't have that back in Judea. We... We didn't have food like that back home. I don't know what that is, but it smells good. It's intimidation. And it's the world does to you every day. You want to live for righteousness? Okay, look at this. Look at what we have to offer. Look at what you're missing out on. Oh, you're, you're saving yourself for marriage. That's so cute, but look at what you could have in the meantime. Commercial after commercial, day after day, marketing after marketing. What the world is putting in front of you is meant to intimidate you, not necessarily to put you in a place of fear, but to say, are you really willing to take a stand when you could have this? It's what, it's what the devil did to Jesus in the desert. Took him up to the temple and said, look at all of this and all the kingdoms of the world. All this could be yours if you would just bow and worship me. The world seeks to, to intimidate. And then the, the last thing that we see in these verses is he tries to take identity. He renames them. He changes Daniel's name. He changes Azariah's name. He changes these boys. What you have to understand is, is in, in Hebrew culture, like their names meant something. 
Their name, they were like little walking theology with their name. The name Daniel means God is my judge. Every, every one of their names meant something. And oftentimes, more often than not, it spoke a truth about who God was either in that moment, in the past, in the circumstances, promises of God for the future. So here comes God is my judge walking into the room and they say, you're no longer going to be God is my judge, but you're going to be Belteshazzar, which means Bel, which was a God that the Babylonians worshiped. It means Bel protects the king. So now it's not about your God, but it's about our gods and it's about our king. Literally, his name meant God protect the king. Long live the king is what Daniel's name was changed to. There was an attack on their identity and there's an attack happening on your identity today. So it's so important. One of the things that we say is we want to help you recover your identity because the, the, the devil is an expert identity thief. He will come and he will drop lies that, that cause you to question who God is and who you are in God to the point where now it's not just, it's not just the enemy dropping lies, but then you start standing up and, and now those lies are coming from yourself. Yeah. Now the enemy doesn't have to trick me about that. He's already convinced me. Now I'm convincing myself every day when I look in the mirror. Every day when I can't get it right. Every day when my relationship's falling apart every day when I don't know what I'm doing, every day when I feel like I've messed up too bad, every day when I feel like a failure, every day I'm, I'm just, and it's an attack on our identity. Why? All of this is, is happening so that we would conform to culture. Everything that the enemy is throwing at you and coming against you with is in an effort to get you to stop living a life set apart and start living life as a part of what he's doing. So we have to understand culture demands conformity. The second principle that I want to give you today, go and put that next one up there, is to live different requires courage. To live life set apart, it, it requires a courageous way of living. It requires you to take a stand, and Daniel did that. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, here's what it says, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. But Daniel. But Daniel determined in his mind. But Daniel said no. But Daniel was willing to take a stand. Are you willing to take a stand today. I love, I love scripture and I love but Daniel and I love how when we read scripture, so many times there are, you know, there are big buts in the Bible and allow me to explain myself. <laughs> when you read verses and you read something, something, something is happening, but God. Something, something, something is happening, but God. Those are big buts. Because God intervenes in a situation and says, it might be going this way, but watch what I can do. <laughs> it's like the little kid from Mad TV. Look what I can do. Sorry, just that was. <laughs> Genesis, Gen Genesis tells us, but God remembered Noah and his family. It had gotten so wicked, it had gotten so bad. God says, this, it can't continue this way. There's angels and there's humans and my goodness, we have, to, we have to hit a reset button here. But God, remember, know it. Genesis chapter 50, Joseph, his brothers, at the end of, of their story, Joseph says, you, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. You watch the, the children of Israel walking through the, the wilderness, but God opened up the Red Sea. But God provided manna for them. But God brought forth water from a rock. But God, but God, but God, time and time and time again. But God, even into the New Testament, we were dead in our sin and transgression. But God sent his son, born of a virgin. But God, and, and I think as followers of Jesus, and we, we study the scripture, and we see these big but, but God moments, and, and, and we go to God and it's like, God, I, I need a but God moment. God, I need you to intervene. God, I need you to do this. God, I, and, and he's like, I will in my timing. 
And here's what we need to understand while we're waiting on a but God moment. Each and every day, you need to walk in a but me day. See, there were times that but God showed up in the book of Daniel. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I'm not going to bow to this statue, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, who showed up with them? God did. But God intervened to where they pulled them out of the smoke, and they didn't even smell like smoke. And I think that's the bigger miracle than them not dying, because if you've ever been to a bonfire, you know. It takes at least three weeks to get that smell out of your clothes. So the fact that they came forth was not even smelling of smoke, but God intervened. But what happened? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided I'm not going to bow. See, we, we wait for but God moments, and we should expect and anticipate but God moments. But my challenge to you is, is while you're waiting on your but God moment, don't fail to walk in your but me day. But Daniel. But Daniel determined. But Daniel decided. But Daniel had, had put his foot down and said, no, this isn't how I'm going to live. But Daniel, but Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But David showed up to a battlefield and said, he's not going to talk about my God that way. But us, what are you doing today? Requires courage. Daniel determined not to defile himself. He determined in his mind, and that led him to go to the chief of staff and say, listen, like, this bacon smells really good, and everything looks really good, but I can't eat that. He had decided, and then he acted. He decided, and then he acted. His, his decisions became his conviction based on what he valued. See, your values determine what you do. Your values lead to your decisions. Your decisions lead to your convictions. And so if you, if you look at what culture's saying, culture's doing, what's going on around you, and it's like, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think it's that bad. So there's no conviction there. I will question the decisions you've made to get to that point. And if you made decisions to get to that point, then I would encourage you to go back and evaluate your values. And are these things that I say that I value, do I really value them? Or is that just something that I made up? Do my, do my decisions line up with what I say I value? He determined that he would not be defiled. Daniel's effectiveness, understand, like, he served for 70 years. He served under four kings. Daniel was given position. He was given authority. God's favor was upon him. But Daniel's effectiveness in his life went back to the decisions that Daniel made as a young man. Because he was willing to take a stand, God said, there's somebody that I can trust. There's somebody that I can use. There's somebody that I can work through. What choices are you making? Because the little choices that you make each and every day are leading you somewhere. Your life up to this point is the result of millions of little choices. The fact that you're here today, you chose to get up and get dressed, take a shower, brush your teeth, put on some clothes, get in the car, showed up at church. The fact that you're going to go to lunch later, you're going you're gonna to eat something, mama's pizza, hopefully. It's going to be a result of the choices that you make. And in three years from now, you'll look back, and the difference between where you are today and where you are in three years are the result of millions of little choices. Sometimes it seems like the smallest ones, but the smallest ones oftentimes have the biggest impact. What choices are you making? So we have to understand, number one, that culture requires and, and demands uh, conformity. We have to understand that to live differently requires courage. But I want to encourage you today. The, the third principle I want to share with you is that kingdom living leads to kingdom provision. Kingdom living leads to kingdom provision. Look at what God does on behalf of these young men. 
So that God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams, and we see that played out time and again in the book of Daniel. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one, no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable, 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. The favor of God that was upon the lives of these young men, the the wisdom that God imparted to them, the the gifts that God gave them to do these things and to walk this out and, and to step into places that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to step, but to stand boldly before King Nebuchadnezzar and say, King, this is what your dream means. And not just this is what your dream means, but this is the dream that you had. Because that's what the the king wanted. He says, I'm not just asking for an interpretation of my dream, but before you bring the interpretation, you have to tell me what I dreamed in the first place. And all his guys were like, how are we supposed to know what you dreamed? Like, just tell us what you dreamed and we'll make something up and tell you what it meant. He's like, no. Tell me what I dreamt. You know what he dreamt? I don't know what he dreamt. Nobody knows what he dreamt. So the king's like, all right, you're all going to die. All the wise men in the kingdom, kill them all because none of them are good at their jobs. So Daniel, Daniel's like, hold on, I, I, could, I could tell you. Give me one day. Let me go talk to my God and I'll come back and I'll tell you what you dreamt. And he does. He comes back and he's put in charge of all the wise men at that point. Why? Because he decided to live not according to culture standards, but according to God's standards. And anytime you make a a determination to stand for what is righteous, yeah, the world is going to say, you're missing out on this, but God is going to be right there to say, yeah, but you've just gained access to so much more. You've just gained access to so much more. Don't focus on what the world is taking away from you, but focus on the doors that I'm opening before you. Yeah, there's going to be doors that are going to be closed, but I want those doors closed anyway because those those doors aren't for you. Just wait and walk. Walk in in the path that I'm I'm leading you on. Just trust in me. Just, just, Just keep your eyes on me. Remain loyal to me. Why? Because God rewards loyalty. Hebrews 11, God, God rewards those who diligently seek him is what God's word says. Where do your loyalties lie today? Look at what God does. Daniel chapter two, the king appoints Daniel to a high position, gives him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Daniel chapter three, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Daniel chapter five, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes and a gold chain. As my kids would say, he got some drip. He was dressed in purple robes and a gold chain. Like, come on, could you imagine... Like, like you, you just come into church next week with a purple robe and a gold chain on? Like, I dare you. Somebody, please, somebody, please. Just a purple robe and a gold chain. I can't wait to see that. But it says Daniel 5.29. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Time and time and time and time and time again in Daniel's life as a result of him not bowing to the pressures of culture. Because what you have to understand is in each of these situations and circumstances, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to bow. Thrown into the fiery furnace, come back out. And the king's like, oh my gosh, you're in charge of everything now. Your God is the only God. A new king comes along and the, the, the command is given. Don't pray to any other gods. Daniel says, nope, I can't do that. I'm going to continue to pray to my God. And they find out and they trap him and he's thrown into the lion's den. He lives an entire night in a den of lions. The king comes out the next day, Daniel, are you still alive? I'm here. My God sent angels to protect me. I'm fine, king. He comes out. He's promoted again. These promotions happen as a result of Daniel and these these young men willing to take a stand for what is right rather than bending a knee to culture. We think if we just go along to get along, then then everything's going to be okay. No, you want everything better than okay, and that only comes when you refuse to bow a knee to culture. We see it in Daniel's life. Daniel chapter 1, verse 21. 
It says that Daniel remained loyal, or he remained in royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So when he comes into Babylon, he's under King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 21 tells us he, he's in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. That's 70 years. That's four different kings. Daniel 6, 28, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus. He didn't matter who was in power. It didn't matter which political party was in office. Didn't matter who controlled the Senate. Didn't matter what executive orders were signed. Didn't matter if it lined up with Daniel's thoughts and ideology or not. You have to understand, like, yes, we live in the United States of America. We have a political system. It's probably more broken than any political system. But we have this idea like, well, when this person gets voted in, everything's going to be so much better. If this party just had, if we could just. And Daniel's life was, was a picture that it doesn't matter who's in control of political power. It doesn't matter who's sitting on any earthly throne. All that matters is God is still sitting on his throne. And my allegiance does not lie in a political party, but my allegiance lies as a citizen of heaven. And I'm not going to take a stand based on my party's talking points or based on my party's political ideology. That's not what I'm going to stand for. But I will stand for the word of God given to us in his word and given to me through his Holy Spirit. That's the stand that I will take. And that's the stand that Daniel took. He didn't, make, he, he, he didn't start giving to, to other kings' campaigns because King Nebuchadnezzar was a, a wicked man. He didn't, he didn't start trying to, to undermine and get somebody else in power. He wasn't out there picketing. He wasn't out there signing people up to vote. He wasn't, doing, he wasn't, he wasn't participating in the political system in that way. He was given authority in it by God, but that's because he chose to live first as a citizen of heaven. His allegiance was to God. And as his allegiance was to God, not only were there provision and blessing, but there was influence given. Four different kings Daniel served under for 70 years. And he used his influence. He used his influence. How are you using your influence? That's the question I want to ask you today. Because we've all been given influence. For some of us, it's influence over, over many. For some of us, it's just influence in our family. For some of you, it's just influence over you and in, in those close to you right now. But how are, you, how are you using your influence? Okay, cool, Daniel, you know, he served some kings. and Cool, he was the head of the, the wise men. Yeah, it is cool. Because hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Daniel's given dreams and visions, and he's being told what to look for, that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, this is what it's going to look like. In a couple of weeks, we'll read in, in the book of Matthew the story of the wise men who come to worship the newborn king of the Jews. Do you know where these wise men came from? The east, it tells us. It tells us they came from the east. Do you know what is... What is east of Bethlehem? Babylon. So wise men came from Babylon to worship the newborn king. Daniel, hundreds of years earlier, was put in charge of all of the wise men. Like his influence wasn't just over these kings, but his influence lasted hundreds of years. How do you think these wise men traveling east knew what to look for? You think it was because, man, one time in Babylon, there was this dude, and his name was Daniel, and he wasn't like anybody else at that time. He was the wisest, smartest, 
everything that he said was spot on. He could interpret dreams. He could give you the meaning of visions. Like if you had a question, you just had to ask Daniel. And there were times where even bucking tradition and bucking culture, like he was thrown into a lion's den. The next day he was fine. But Daniel taught people who taught other people who taught other people who one day taught us. These things that Daniel saw and learned and that his God gave him, he gave to others who gave to others. And now today we see this star and we've been waiting for hundreds of years for this star to appear. We've been waiting for the signs because we know that one day this king is going to be born and he's not a king of this world, but he's the king of all kings. Now we're here to worship him. Why? Because one man hundreds of years ago decided that rather than living as a part of culture, he would live set apart from it. Rather than bowing a knee to what the culture demanded, he was willing to only bow a knee to to his God and live a life of holiness and live a life of righteousness. And, And even if it meant putting his life in danger, he was willing to do it and stand for what is right. What are you standing for today, church? Are you standing for a political party or a political candidate? Or are you standing for the truth of God's word? I know what you're thinking right now. It's the same thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. Whose name are you trying to make famous? Which culture and which kingdom are you spending more time promoting? If I went to your Facebook pages, would I see more posts about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who sent the Comforter to dwell in each and every one of us and to lead us in divine paths of righteousness, to reveal all truth to us? Or would I see more posts promoting a broken man-made system and if we would just and if we would just and if we would just, no, if we, would, if we would just get back to understanding our identity, if we would just get out of isolation, if we would just turn off the TV and stop being indoctrinated by what the world is trying to get us to, to focus on and get us consumed with. One day, but God will show up in your life and in your situation. One day you can stand up here and say, you know what? It was a mess. My finances, my marriage, my life. I didn't know who I was. My purpose was lost on me, but God. But God showed up. God did a miracle in my life. And I can't wait to rejoice with you on that day when God shows up. But my challenge to you as you walk out of this place today and you're waiting for your but God moment, ask God, but what do you want me to do today? Well, I'm waiting for but God. How do I walk in but John? But John determined. But John decided. But Mike decided. What do we do today that will lead us to a place where our convictions are in line with God's word. So that when God looks at us, he says, you know what, that's somebody that I can trust and because I can trust them, I know that I can give them. As God's favor rests upon you and your influence grows in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your circles, how will you use that influence? Because you can either be a thermostat or you can be a thermometer. I've said it before. Pastor Dobie has said it before. You've probably heard it said before. A thermometer reacts to the environment. And if it's cold, the thermometer will say that it's cold. And if it's hot, thermometer will say that it's hot. But the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat is the thermostat regulates the environment. He doesn't respond to it. You can be that regulation in your environment 
to where your environment doesn't get you down and it doesn't get you up and it doesn't get you frustrated and it doesn't get you anxious and it doesn't get you freaked out and it doesn't get you worried. But you can step into your environment like a thermostat. Why? Because I know who my God is. And I can stand on the promises of his word. And I know that if I just determine in my heart to live for him, not just today or tomorrow, but every day, I know I'm gonna mess up and I know I'm gonna make mistakes, but if I just determine in my heart to keep my eyes and focused on him, if I just determine in my heart to love God and to, to love my neighbor, if I just determine in my heart not to put my eyes on the things of the world, if I just determine in my heart, and I know it's gonna work out. What are you determined to do today? Stand with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together to gather and to worship you corporately and to be encouraged and challenged by your word. I pray that each and every one of us would leave this place changed by the power of your word. That we wouldn't just be hearers, but Lord, that we would take it. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use it to, to examine our hearts and, and our lives and shine a light on any of those areas that and maybe we're in isolation. Maybe, maybe we believe things that, that we shouldn't believe because we've been focusing on the wrong source. So wherever we find ourselves today, I pray that we would take a step back and as Daniel did, that we would determine in our hearts not to bow a knee to culture because you have, you have called us to live counterculture life. Yes, we, we live in America, but we are citizens of heaven first. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, your name would be written in the book of life. And today, before you leave, if you feel the tug of God's spirit on your heart, my encouragement to you is to repent of your sins. That just means just let him know. I admit it. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I know I've messed up and I'll continue to mess up. Would you forgive me? And he will. It means to pick up your cross, to die to your wishes, to die to yourself, your wants, your desires. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to empower you to live the life that he was created you to live. Lord, as we go this week, I pray that, that we would go as Daniels, purple robes, gold chains, lights in dark places, walking in the favor that you've given the influence that we have, and Lord, that we would use it not to influence people for our own selfish gain, not to influence people for, for some man-made system, but that we would use the influence you've given us to point everybody we can to a God that loves them and a Savior that died for them. Lord, we thank you. Go with us this week. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.